Welcome back into the mental game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is Indianapolis Colts linebacker Shaquille Leonard. And this was an amazing conversation talking about Shaquille achieving his ultimate childhood dream of being drafted into the NFL and being a star linebacker for the Colts, but also the tragedy that he faced when he lost his best friend and brother when he was just a senior in high school. We talk about depression, anxiety, mental health, the sleepless nights, and the heartache for him and his family losing his brother all of that and much, much more in this episode. But before we get into that conversation, I just want to say thank you to everyone supporting The Mental Game. If you love these conversations, please like, rate, review, subscribe to The Mental Game. Tell your family, tell your friends as we try to continue breaking the stigma with my ultimate goal, which is saving lives with these conversations. Now it is time for the latest conversation on The Mental Game with Colts linebacker Shaquille Leonard. <laughs> Welcome back into the mental game. As you can tell, I'm joined by a very special guest here from the Indianapolis Colts, Shaquille Leonard. Shaquille, I appreciate you doing this, my man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. First thing I ask every guest on here, and their answer is different. Maybe it's a tool they've used in their life through the whole thing, or mm -hmm. it's something they discovered more recently, or there's an event that triggers them to address their mental health. But what does mental health mean to you? Uh, mental, mental health means, means a lot to me, man. Um, especially, you know, coming from my upbringing, you know, seeing the things that I've seen, um, you know, mom working two or three jobs, mm -hmm. had two brothers incarcerated, um, you know, just starting work early. I got my first job at 13. Uh, then I lost my brother at the age of at 17. So it was it was a lot. And then, you know, in 2015 of me holding in, you know, all of my feelings, all my anxiety and not truly, you know, asking for help, uh, actually, had some heart issues back in 2015 uh, where they actually had to go in and, you know, kind of figure that out. Mm -hmm. And he told me that, man, you're coming from all stress and yeah. you got to find a way to, you know, cope with this. And so I started, you know, reaching out, talking to people about my mental health. And it, it took that. It took me to kind of be in on that hospital bed and say, all right, you know, something has to change. And ever since then, me opened up about, you know, what I've been through in my life um, just made me a better person and made my old self come back out. You mentioned your family, your brothers. When you were a senior in high school, you and your brother were super close. Oh, yeah. You guys slept in the same bed? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we did for a while. Yeah. And then we slept in the same room. Uh, we, had our, we had our separate beds. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean... It wasn't that big of a room, I and mean, we kind of, you know, we're still, you know, looking at each other. We could touch each other if we mm -hmm. wanted to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, everything that, you know, we did, we did together. We played basketball together. Every single day we walked around the town 24-7. Uh, we had a two-seater bicycle. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine that. That's, I mean, that's how tight we were, man. Everybody right. knew that you didn't see one without the other. You mentioned how close you and Cavante were. When you lose him, um, walk me through – what that was like for you because that has to be one of if not the biggest traumatic experience you went through with your mental health and hearing this story really touches me because you have to ask yourself a lot of questions afterwards because you guys maybe got in an argument mm -hmm. and then he leaves and, and the last time you talked to him was an emotional experience yeah. ah man it was it was tough man it's by far you know the toughest thing i've ever been through in my life um you know when i lost him i felt like i lost a piece of me mm -hmm. and like you said, man, it was it was crazy. Um, you know, just our last conversation, it was a brotherly argument about, you know, 
I asked, could I wear something of his? He told me no. And he asked if he could wear something of mine. I told him, yeah. And it was kind of, you know, argument there. And I told him that, you know, I was ready for him to go back to school. And, mm -hmm. you know, later that, later that day I came home, he was gone. And then the very next day, you know, that's when I get the news. So, you know, once I lost him, you know, I felt like it was my fault because he wasn't, you know, supposed to leave until, you know, the following week. And, you know, for, for a very long time, you know, I thought his death was my fault and I had to live with that. And it was tough. It was, it was tough for a while. And, you know, it's luckily I had my, I had my now wife, um, you know, by my side and she, she knew my feelings. She mm -hmm. knew that I was hurt. She knew that, you know, I was, you know, in some pain and she made me, you know, feel like I was that special person and she was there for me. And it, it was, it was tough, man. It was by far and still the hardest thing, man. I still, you know, have sleepless nights. I still think about him all the time. Um, you know, every time I play football, I take my wrist all the way up to his chin. I have a tattoo of his um, of his face on my arm. So, oh, wow. so make sure that he's still there. And you know, it, I, I still write my poems, man. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that's how I kind of get my emotions out at times when I don't feel like you know talking to people. Yeah, I feel like you know I just write poems and you know let my feelings out. But yeah, man, it's it's tough. It's tough, but, you know, it, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. It taught me, you know, to cherish every moment and, you know, treat everybody with love and respect. And, you know, no matter what type of argument it is, make sure you end it by the end of the day and let them know that you are loved. And that's how I try to go about my day now, man. I try to make sure people feel, you know, that, that happiness, that, that love and that care that the world needs. The range of emotions from that whole story with your brother – and my understanding was he got in a fight and you thought that he was going to be okay. Yeah, you heard man. from the hospital that it, everything was going to be fine. And then the next day, oh, man. The, uh, the up and down of that and then having the self-blame, which I'm sure you've already been told before, that's not uncommon in situations like this. How did you balance all those emotions of the hope he's going to be okay to his passing to blaming yourself? I mean... That is a lot, especially for, what were you, 17, 18 17, years old? 17, 17 years old going through that. How did you handle all those ranges of emotion? Ah, man, it was hard. I, I don't think I handled it, handled it well. Um, you know, that night it happened. Um, you know, I'm at Huddle House with, um, with Kayla, and I'm getting multiple phone calls. Mm -hmm. And normally when I'm on a date, you know, phone down, you know, right. trying to give full respect. And something was like, hey, man, just answer the phone. Yeah. And so once I answered the phone, they was like, hey, your brother got into a fight. He got hit upside the head with a, you know, with a steel chair. He just, you know, knocked out. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, back where, back where we're from, you know, we used to fighting. You know, mm -hmm. we used to people getting in the fight. So in my mind, it's like, all right, you know, he, he'll be okay. So we get to the hospital and, you know, I go in, go to the back and, you know, I'm there. My mom's at the whole family there and they're saying, I, I, I can vividly, you know, see him, you know, lying there. And he opened his eyes four times. And, you know, as, as he opened his eyes, he don't, he don't say nothing. So I look at the doctor, and they were like, oh, yeah, he's going to be okay. You know, me being at that age, and my mom always told me that I was tenderhearted. Yeah. I never loved seeing someone in that moment, in that, in that state of mind. And so once they told me that he would be okay, you know, I said, all right, cool, I'm going I'm to go home. You know, I'm going to go home, and, you know, I come back, you know, tomorrow, mm -hmm. and, you know, see him. So the next morning um, – Somebody called, my aunt called me, my aunt Shannon was like, hey, uh, how Kevante doing? So I'm like, he's doing good. You know, he's, you know, he should be home today. So then I, you know, I called my mom, no answer. Called my sisters, no answer. So now I'm worried. So then I called my brother Henri and he said, hey, your brother's gone. And, you know, once he said that, man, all the emotions and everything, it was, 
it was hard. It, it was very hard. And then to have to, you know, understand that my last thing that I said to him wasn't what I wanted to wanted him to hear for the last time. And, you know, battling that emotions of that roller coaster, man, it it was hard. At first it was it was a lot of disbelief. I didn't believe it. You know, it, it truly don't hit you right right at the moment. Right. But, you know, still going up to the funeral, that's when it hit me. The day of the yep. funeral, that's when I kinda truly broke down and, you know, it it, it was just sucks, and that and that that day kind of ruined ruined my life. I, I would say because for one, I never wanted to see my brother in that state. You know what I mean? And of that passing and knowing that I would never be able to, you know, talk to my best friend again. And it, it was hard. It was hard, man. I, I took so much anger out on people that I love. I shot away from you know people that I was hanging around with. You know, I just wanted to be by myself. I wanted to be in my corner. I didn't want to feel any more emotions, like playing a game. Like I had to go play basketball the following week. Yeah. And it was like, it, it was hard for me to do because we did that together. Mm -hmm. And he was playing basketball in college and it made me think of him whole time I was on the court, man. And it, it was it was tough. I, I didn't know how to, for one, you know, battle, battle my emotions. Cause you know, I was taught, you know, you don't show too many emotions. You, right. you men don't, men don't cry. You know, we're, we're supposed to be tough, supposed to be strong. And, you know, it, it, it hurt for a while, and, you know, it took all the way to 2015 for someone to tell me, you know, how to truly, you know, help myself because I was trying to help other people and make sure that other people was okay, and not too many people was, you know, seeing that I needed that help too. Did you feel alone? Because that's, like, the most common thing, and I felt it when I was going through my biggest trauma, depression. I was suicidal for three months, and I just felt alone. Was that feeling the same for you? <laughs> Yeah, man, alone, man. I was, it, it was hard. I like, I felt like I was by myself because I mean we talked every day. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then once I didn't have that, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I just locked myself in a room, didn't talk to anyone. And then I had to go off to college that next year. And then I mean, you can talk to my my teammates from college, man. I didn't talk to them for a whole month because wow. I, I didn't. I wasn't ready for someone to try to step up in that that void that I was missing. Right. So I mean, I was you know in a corner. I was I wasn't eating. I wasn't. I mean, it was. I was I was in a very 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 bad space, man. You mentioned men not supposed to show emotion. I know in the black community, as a man, definitely don't show your emotions. Uh -huh. How you've been brought up in the past. Where were you able to change that? And what maybe happened in your life that? in the past you saw maybe I shouldn't, you know, show my emotions because yeah. there is a stigma not only around men's mental health, but I think it's important to bring up yeah. black men's mental health because you're taught not to speak up. Yeah, man, for, cause, for, cause we, I feel like as black men, the way society look at us already, we somewhat have to hide our emotions, but I just feel like, man, without me, being able to, you know, show my emotions and tell people the way that I feel, that that helped me out so much, man. And like me being who I am now as a black African American in the NFL, and if I can sit right here and tell these people that my mental state is not always on 100% and I have problems with my past, man, that so many people are, you know, going to reach out and 
won't be afraid to you know open up about what they're going through and their mental health. And that's what it's going to take, man. It's going to mm-hmm. take people like myself and other people to talk about mental health for people to open up because we're taught that we got to be the provider. We got to be the strong guys. We got to make sure that your kids don't see you cry. You don't need to show no signs of weakness. But sometimes, you know, you got you to show them tears. You got to let them tears out because those tears are watering something special. You know, you letting out all that pain and it's going to let you grow to be the great human, human being that you're supposed to be. I think that is a super powerful way to put it and a great message for anyone watching or listening at home. Um, I mentioned for me, I was in a very dark place and I was suicidal. Was there ever moments right after your brother's passing that you didn't want to be here? Um, yeah, it, it crossed it crossed my mind a lot. You know, um, just that 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 pain every single day. You know, mm-hmm. of you know only watching videos, only looking at pictures, and you know not seeing his goofy his goofy you know spirit around. Yeah, you know it, it took it took a toll on me. You know at times you know you you think about you know you think about the worst, mm-hmm. but. Then on the flip side, you think about your mom, you think about your dad, you think about your brothers and sisters of the yep. pain that they're feeling now after losing one brother. Would you want them to go and feel that same pain again? So now it's like, okay, how can I make this better? How can I be a better version of myself? How can I make sure that my mom and sisters and everybody are smiling instead of crying? For me, it was my mom. I could never, I mean, there were nights where I was drunk, walking in downtown Cincinnati, thought about jumping off a bridge or laying down in traffic, mm-hmm. and it was the thought of my mother losing a child I, it would literally kill her. Yeah. And so that was the thing that made me hold on. But also, like, just you don't realize in the moment that it is just temporary. Yeah. And it's just a phase of life. And no matter how hard it is, whether it's your brother passing or for me, I had three family members pass, relationship, you know, went mm-hmm. down the drain. But it's just temporary. How, how, how do you, I guess, give people advice to, to turn that switch in their head that it is only temporary and you can't get to the other side of it. Mental health, you always have yeah. to work on it, but you can get out of that space. Yeah, I mean, but I think they got to truly understand that it's going to be hard. Right. It's, it's going to be – it'll be bad before it get good. But, yep. you know, they say that, you know, God gave his toughest battle to his strongest soldiers and mm-hmm. he wouldn't put more on you, on you than what you can bear. And he's under, he understand that. And sometimes you got to go through them tribes and tribulations to get through the greater good. You know, every – lifestyle isn't going to be a straight path. Yeah. You know, there's going to be so many obstacles in front of you that you're going to have to get over. And sometimes you're going to get knocked down, and sometimes you're going to feel like you don't have any more strength to fight. But my suggestion to you is, you know, if you get knocked down, you know, as long as you look up, you can get up. Yep. That's my mentality. You know what I'm saying? If I can get knocked down to this canvas mm-hmm. over and over and over again, but I would never stay down, is because I know that in this life, this world is better and this world is great because I'm in it. And people need to understand that when it comes down to mental health, yes, you're going through all this right now, but that's going to make you stronger. And when you get through it, you're going to feel so much better and you're going to see how strong that you really are once you get through it. That is another great point. And I feel like I feel and think the same way and try to preach that message. Uh, you mentioned ther- or you mentioned poetry as being something powerful mm-hmm. for you to do to help yourself. Have you ever gone to therapy since then, and or what are your um, ways to make your mental health better? Oh um, man, um, I haven't I haven't been to um, therapy since probably 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell in love with writing poems because you know as a 
athlete, you know, you sometimes you don't want to go, you know, talk to someone. And the therapist told me, hey, write it down. Yeah. If you if you angry, it feels better if you yeah, get it out. You got to You just got to find a way. You got to find your way to make you feel better. And my way is writing poems and writing everything out. And that was makes me happy because I can constantly, you know, write poems over and over again. And once you go back and go read your poems, like I was on a plane the other day. Mm-hmm. I wrote a poem back in 2017 and I forgot I even written a poem. And it was about my mom. Oh, it wow. was about me, you know, wanting to see her be better. Uh-huh. And that just gave me an extra, extra, you know, juice behind me to say, yeah. all right, let's keep, let's keep this thing going. And once you, because, man, it's, it's hard in the moment. Yep. It's hard in the moment to find help. It's hard in the moment to reach out help, for help. Because, for one, you're going to have to, you know, dial the phone. Don't know if they're going to answer or not. You got to travel somewhere to go mm-hmm. talk to somebody. But if you can get that emotion out right away, you'll take that bad thought out of your mind. Because once you let it sit in your mind, you're going to think about it all day. And if you let that take over your mind, you're going to become that. Mm-hmm. So the quicker you can find that help, the quicker you can find your niche of getting it out, the better you'll be. For me, like just driving around, listening to music or working out, those are two things that like just take my mind off it because my like um, my worst habit was I was a big drinker. So yeah. you go get drunk yeah. and try to cover it up and it oh, doesn't yeah. work. And now I've been um, sober for two and a half months. So Congratulations it's like, on that. thank you. Thank you, bro. And just like seeing a different light, knowing that like when you're in that bad headspace, learning when you're depressed, stressed, have anxiety, instead of going and doing the bad triggers, yeah. Go do something like poetry, listen yeah. to music, work out. Um, you mentioned not in, until you got to college, you that first month, you weren't really talking nah, to anyone. Uh-uh. Fraternity, that, that, and this was at South Carolina State. South Carolina State. Um, how did that like, just change you? It seemed like that was a real brotherhood that, that made you open up. Yeah, let me, let me, let me back up for a second first because you mentioned your, your drinking habits. Yeah. You know, my, that was mine too. You know, I, I was in college, I was drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry with myself. Yep. You know, I was fighting two or three times a week. You know, I was I was just in a bad space. And that's when, you know, in 15 and 16, when I got to therapy, that's when I started writing poems. So I understand exactly what you, you know, been through when it comes down to, you know, drinking the pain away just to, you know, to feel numb. Right. So I definitely, you know, feel that. And when it comes down to the member of Mega Five Fraternity Incorporated, man, it was just the the brotherhood of it, you know, just to seeing all the core values, you know, the manhood, the scholarship, the perseverance, and the uplift, you know, to seeing the things that they was doing on campus. They was always together. Yep. They always did community service. They always made sure that they was on top of, you know, the schoolwork, uh, the scholarships and everything. And that was me. You know, mm-hmm. I I mean, I feel like I'm a, a great human being. You know, I always, you know, think about others, treat everybody with kindness, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my schoolwork was good. And I always wanted to give back to my community no matter what. And I love hanging around the guys. Yeah. And just seeing the way that they carry themselves on campus, it made me want to be just like them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I joined, you know, the frat in uh, 2015, you know, the bond, you know, I, I pledged with, you know, 30 other brothers. You know, I had yep. 30, um, you know, I had my line was 31. And to – Come tight with them. And, you know, when you're online, you have to open up about yourself. Yep. You got to tell them the thing that you've been through. And I'm not going to lie, it, you know, it has some times where, you know, it, it bothered me, you know, mm-hmm. while pledging and everything. And, you know, it made me open up and really let my guard down. 
and you know truly understand that everybody isn't out to get you yeah. and people understand that yes you lost a brother we're not trying to take his place but we're just trying to help you make that space more more loving more caring instead of more hate and guilt the power of brotherhood in the frat i'm sure you just said it it is one of the biggest things that helped mm -hmm. you get through the loss of your brother and have that that courage to speak up and show emotion uh what about playing at south carolina state i mentioned before we started rolling you know i covered an hbcu at southern in baton rouge yeah. and the football is different the culture is different <laughs> it is a cool cool amazing tight environment at hbcus but also you're not playing on that big stage yeah. on ABC, CBS, in yeah. front of 100,000 people. How much did that help and motivate you <laughs> to get to the league? And, and what were maybe some of the obstacles you had to overcome playing at an HBCU? Ah, man, HBCU, man, it was, it was by far the best decision I could have made in my life at that, at that moment. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you was at Southern, you know, you know how big it is. It's not a big campus. Yep. So you know everyone on campus. So it felt like I was back in high school. <laughs> I felt like everybody was family. And yeah. so when I'm playing, you know, it was like I had my whole family watching. So, you know, at big schools, man, you, you're not going to get that family environment. Right. And then, you know, like you said, with the good music and, the you good know. The good food. Good, oh, man. Yeah, Tailgates. Great. Ooh, man. <laughs> great, great food, man. And. You know, it, just the obstacles that we had to go to. We didn't have the same resources like the training room staff or, you know, the weight room wasn't that big. We didn't have right. our own um, football facility. Mm -hmm. You know, we ate with other students. So the other students got a chance to know who we were. We got a chance to know who the other students were. Yeah. And, man, it made me – that made me work even harder because so many people doubted us. So mm -hmm. many people say that you go to South Carolina State, you'll never be anything. You'll never get drafted. And I remember when I first got there, you know, Joe Thomas uh, Sr. No, to, to Joe Thomas Jr., he got picked up a free agency. And then um, Javon Hargrave were the first one to get drafted in the third round. Wow. And then I said, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. And I just kind of, you know, just got my head down and just continued to work just so I can, you know, prove everyone wrong. Because ever since I was in high school, man, it sounded too small. Say I, was, I wasn't fast enough, wasn't strong enough. Oh, you're going to HBCU. We'll see you back here in about two years, mm -hmm. back in Lakeview. And I just always wanted to prove them wrong. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing now. And that's what I'm trying to continue to do because, man, this, this life that we live, we have so many spectators. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who's going to say a lot of things about you. And people don't understand that, you know, we still are human. Right. And we still see you talk about us. And mentally, yeah. it can take a toll on you. Yep. People don't understand that. We're saying that, oh, you suck, and you, you quitting, you're doing this. And, you know, if you continue to read that stuff, you see it a lot, you're starting to believe that that's who yep. you really are. And then, you know, that mental is that mental state is like, wait a minute, that ain't me. Yep. You know what I mean? They're going to always have an opinion. Let me go out here and show them who I really am. And, you know, that's what I try to do, man. And that's why, you know, I started my my uh, Maniac Foundation mm -hmm. um, hotline for mental health, you know, with the monthly message. Yep. And I think that's by far one of the biggest things that helps me out is me, and be, me being able to deliver a message to tell people that it's going to be okay because I don't feel like I'm talking to them. I feel like I'm just talking to myself the whole mm -hmm. time. Like I'm letting them know like, hey, yes, I'm battling this right here in, in, at the, with the team. I'm battling this at home. Yeah. I'm letting them know that I'm going through the same issues that you're going through. And the only thing you got to do is continue to keep working, continue to find a way to help your mental health out and find a way to reach out. And that's what I, that's what I love to do. Man. I just love to speak and I love to make sure people feel like they're not alone in this crazy world.
And what you're doing is awesome here in Indianapolis, back in your hometown with the Maniac Foundation, everything that you've done on and off the field with the Colts. I know you have a team meeting in a few minutes. We've got about five left, so I'm doing my job looking at the <laughs> clock, making sure you're not getting yes, in trouble sir. with the coaching staff. But I truly believe good things happen to good people who work hard. Yeah. And so hearing your story and hearing other stories on this podcast or just people that message me, email me, if you put in the work, whether it's on your dream, your mental health, mm -hmm. love, family, whatever it is, yes, sir. good things do happen when you put in the work. And, and one of the biggest things, obviously, was you getting drafted, coming to play for the Colts. You had an amazing rookie year. You've played really well since. But last year, I want to just touch on that before we mm -hmm. end the podcast because it was tough. You went through a <laughs> yeah. concussion, broken nose, and then you had season-ending back surgery yeah. in the middle of the season. What the hell was that like? Man, it was by far the worst year of my life. So back in April of last year, you know, I came to OTAs and, you know, I worked out for the first day and then I go home. I can't do a calf raise. I don't have no feeling in my left leg. So they're the whole for a whole month, you know, they're thinking it's my ankle. Yeah. So we're trying to figure that out. And then finally they say, oh, your L4, L5 is a pinch on the nerve. You got to have back surgery. So I say, all right, how long am I going to be out? They say, you got about two to three months. You should be back right before the season opener. So in my mind, all right, cool, let's go. Yep. So I go have the surgery, and I come out of surgery, and I'm not getting any better. So I'm, I'm working every day to get better, and they told me the only way you can get better is actually by getting on the field and doing, like, doing football movement. So you know me, if you tell me that it's yeah, going to work. you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. So, man, every day I go in. I go into practice, and I'm in pain all day, Jeez. every day. I go home. Pain I go, I'm on the table. I see my girls. I see my girls probably five to ten minutes. Hey, how y'all doing? Love on them. I'm downstairs from probably 6 o'clock to probably 11 or 12 at night, maybe sometimes 1 or 2 in the morning, just to be ready for the next day. And that's wow. a constant cycle all the way up to, well, then I broke so my first game. I go in and I break my nose. Now I got a concussion out for two months to two weeks. So I come back from Jeez. there. The coaches are telling me, hey, you're going to get back in there. We're we looking good. So in my mind, I'm going I'm to be back. I'm on the field. Right. Now I'm got to worry about splitting time. You're, you're sitting the bench. You know, mm -hmm. that's new for me. Yep. You know, and now I felt like they was if they would have been honest and told me, like, hey, you're not ready, I would have I felt comfortable. But in my mind, right. I thought that I was going to be able to play. So just being able to sit down, it was, it was hard for me mentally and then one, it was like November 8th, I'm on the practice field. Mm -hmm. And I was, so, I was used to, you know, feeling no, like a little power. Yeah. This day with no power. Wow. So I'm like, whoa, something's not right. Next day you know, man, I called the doctor, hey, is this supposed to feel like this? I know you said sometimes you can be in a rut. Yeah. I thought it was just a rut. Couldn't find out, man, that same, that same thing that happened once before happened again. So now I gotta have another surgery. Jeez. So now it's season in season ending surgery. Oh man, I'm getting so much backlash. Everything. It it was so hard, man, because I felt like I was doing everything that I was supposed to do to get back and help this team. And then just standing on the sideline watching watching us lose. Yep. What it, it hurt. It, it hurts me. And then to go home and be away from football, man. It, it sucked. It, it sucked, man. And. I'm just, you know, just trying to, you know, go one day at a time. Um, I, I stopped looking at the bigger picture saying, all right, we're going to be better tomorrow. Yep. Um, in my mind, it's all right, no, let's get 1% better. Let's focus on small ways to get better and then let the big results come later on at the end. Well, I love your story, and I can tell you love football. Obviously love 
talking about mental health, trying to help other people. That is my goal too. Quickly, because we only have a couple minutes. Advice to anyone that wants to follow your footsteps just quickly on getting to the league. What is the one thing they need to focus on? Um, focus on... You know, maybe get, not one thing, but you know. I, I, would, I would say, man, if you if you want to get where I'm at, understand you're you're not who you are. Who, well, you're not who you think you are. There's so many people in this world that you know got the same exact goal, and what makes you different, it got to be somewhere in your worth ethic. Mm-hmm. It's got to be somewhere in your character, and you got to make sure each day you're trying to get better. We're not trying to make big jumps. Just make sure each day you're getting 1% better, you're working hard, and understand that you're not the greatest player ever. Take the coaching, practice harder than ever, Mm -hmm. play harder than ever, and never take the game for granted because you never know when the game will be snatched from up under your feet. And I'm telling you, you got to make sure that you're always working and keep your mind going and never feel like you got it because you never got it. I feel like you're a preacher or a motivational speaker, <laughs> not a guy in the league, but I appreciate it, Shaquille. Yes, thank you so you much. Too, and we'll see everyone right back here next week on The Mental Game. And I can't thank Shaquille and the Colts organization enough for having me out to Indianapolis at their facility to shoot this episode. As you just heard, it was an amazing, inspiring, and impactful conversation with Shaquille. Also, big shout-out to the Colts. They are one of the best in professional sports when it comes to breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. I think it was last season, if not the season before, where they started their Kicking the Stigma campaign, which really gets the Indianapolis community, Colts fans, and their own players and staffers involved in trying to break the stigma around mental health. They're one of the best, if not the best, in pro sports at that. All right, next week coming up on The Mental Game, it is, I think, my biggest guest yet. Bucket list interview for me. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I will give you his famous line, and it is the only hint I'll give you. Why don't you have a seat? That's the hint. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. You're going to find out next Tuesday right back here on The Mental Game. (laughs) 